0: Thank you for that applause before I even know what I'm going to say. (laughs) Well, we welcome you this morning, especially to you parents, with your children, with you. We love your kids in the spirit of Jesus. When Jesus was in this world, he said, bring those kids to me. And when he did, he put them on his knee and he blessed them. And we bless you parents, we bless your kids, and uh, work together with you to raise them to be people of faith and wisdom and courage in the Spirit of Christ. Well, this message today, parents, I invite you to listen very carefully. Uh, In it, there is truth about the kind of home environment that your children need. And grandparents, for you as well, listen up. Uncles and aunts, those of you that are friends with kids, and that pretty much includes all of us, doesn't it? The message is titled, Is God a Finger-Wagging God? Have you ever been finger-wagged? I have. My little five-foot-something mother, once in a while, not very often, mind you, would come to me and say, Kervin, chin-lowered, scowl, bassoof. It's a German word meaning, watch out, buster. I didn't even know it. The German word meant back then. My parents only spoke German when they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. (laughs) But I didn't have to know. I just read her body language and I knew what she meant. Alter course curven, get your act together, shape up, fall in line, you're falling short of the standard, so behave or else. Those were all communicated in one simple wag of the finger. Have you ever been wagged? I think finger wagging wagging happens all the time. We live in a culture of finger wagging. Every day we're bombarded with the message, your performance is not up to standard. You go through any grocery line checkout and look at the magazines and there you're going to see magazines with articles in them titled like 10 ways to look fabulous on the beach this summer. Twelve secrets to a great love life. Three tips on how to have shimmering, bouncy, fuller hair. Some of us just want to have hair. <laughs> the same happens when you walk into a bookstore. The most popular books are on the shelves are those how to do it. Better, faster, longer, no matter what the it is. Our work worlds are the same. How many of you actually look forward to that annual performance review and then what about school kids report card time most of us didn't really look forward to report cards finger-wagging happens all the time in the media in courtrooms in professional sports in doctors offices coffee shops and in our homes Finger wagging happens everywhere, and it happens in the church too. Finger finger wagging says that if you, person, being A, do B, then C is going to result. It's a formula for living, principles and rules to live by. The problem is that way of thinking works. Most of the time, but not all of the time. And when it does work, we feel so good about ourselves, about our performance. We even become confident and proud. And when it does not work, we either plunge into discouragement or we simply double our efforts. Either way, the problem is within us when life isn't working the way we would like it to. To get it right, to get life right, you and I just have to work harder. A, working harder at B, will surely result in the life that I really long for. The story is told of a lady of the night, a prostitute, who received an invitation to come to church. Her immediate response was, well, why would I want to go there? I feel bad enough already. You know, the church world that I grew up in was exactly like that seemed that the more guilt i could feel at church the more the church of that day felt it was doing what god asked the church to do and then the more fear that i had felt toward god the more the church of the day thought it was pleasing god let me tell you what my early church life did to my experience with god i feared him all right in a cowering sort of way when all the while i just longed for the favor of god to be felt in my life And while I was told that I was a favored child of God, I never felt it in my spirit. And friends, to this day, there are times in my life when I still feel the finger-wagging of God. Is that true for you? Perhaps. Wayne Jacobson, in his book, He Loves Me, tells of his experience with stray puppies as a way of illustrating this dynamic between fear and trust And being loved. Listen to what Jacobson writes. He said, I know well the battle that rages not 15 yards from me as the latest of stray puppies tries to decide whether I'm safe or not. The torment is unbearable. She takes a few halting steps forward, then thinks better and turns away as if to break a spell about to overcome her. I would love to rush in scoop her off her feet and convince her how safe I am for her. But if I so much as lean forward, she scurries even farther into the darkness. Right now, the dog across from me has no idea what awaits her if she can overcome her fear. Many strays warm up to the attention right away, but others act as if they've been beaten by every human they've ever known. Instead of running toward the gate, The light doorway and all the love they could handle, they shrink back in the shadows, unsure whether it is safe. The latest puppy is one of those. I hold out my hand, I coax lovingly, I speak in soft tones, trying to caress her with my words. This game will go on for a while, and right now it could go either way. Will I take care of her and help her? Or will I be like all the others who have hurt or abandoned her? She doesn't want any more pain, preferring to leave now if my invitation will only add more grief. Do you see yourself in Jacobson's story? What force has the greater pulling power? Which force draws you to God? The force of fear or the force of love? And more importantly, which force is? keeps you there. Let me tell you what I know. Most of us are living our lives believing that God is an angry, finger-wagging God. Most of us believe that if we would just be able to perform better, getting this follower thing more right, more of the time, then our lives would be better. A. Working harder at B will result in the life that I long for. The problem with the results that we often get is that most of us are living a discouraged life, feeling finger-wagged by God, because the results that we're getting are just not good enough. So I wonder, what would change if we could see God differently? What if we could see him not as an angry finger-wagging God, but as our loving Father God? The Bible has something to say to us out of the life experience of the children of Israel about how God wants to be known. The prophet Isaiah carried a strong message of correction and rebuke for 39 chapters in his great book. Clearly, God was wagging his finger at the children of Israel. For their outright disobedience and rebellion stirred in him a call to action. And so he sent Isaiah with messages both of warning and of wooing. How God longed for his children to alter the course of their lives, but they would not. And then in chapter 39, God announced that the day was coming when the king of Babylon would invade the country of Israel and take captive The people of Israel into his land, and there they would live in exile. You see, the consequences of their choices would be devastating. Isaiah chapter 40 signifies a turning point in the messages God was sending through the prophet. Of particular interest are the opening words of Isaiah 40, verses 1, 2, and 3, where God says, Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them, Isaiah. Proclaim that their hard service is completed that their sin has been paid for, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And so right at that Isaiah chapter 40 marking point, the tone of the book of Isaiah changes from one of judgment to one of comfort and ultimately to one of hope. Isaiah goes on to pose 18 questions in that same chapter, each of which is meant to cause God's people to ponder who they are, who we are, to ponder who God was and what their relationship with him ought to be. God's invitation was for them to see him differently, to move from seeing him as an angry God who could never be pleased and is set against them to seeing God as a loving father who takes great pleasure in his children and is for them. And so, in a final final series of three questions is asked at the close of chapter 40. Watch for the questions and listen for the answers. As my son Tyler comes, I call him my assistant pastor of encouragement and prayer. And he's going to read the scripture uh, for us this morning out of Isaiah chapter 40. Listen for the three questions and then how God presents himself in response to those questions.
1: The scripture reading and take it from the book of Isaiah chapter 40 verses 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not go tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Those who are only like eagles, They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is God's word.
0: Thank you, Tyler. Now the scripture tells us that the ear of God was hearing words of complaint spoken about him from his children, the people of Israel. Their complaint was about feeling ignored and abandoned by God. Where are you, God? What good are you, God, are questions of complaint that God hears a lot from we humankind. But there is a question, however, for us to ponder that is at the very root of our complaining, which is an important one. The question is this. Why are we prone to think that God ignores us when life isn't working just right? The answer is found in how we see God. Our perception of God affects what we believe about him and therefore what we expect from him the Israelites saw God as an angry finger-wagging God as judge he had standards of performance that if met caused him to bless them when they did not perform to his standards they of course expected punishment because that's what judges did Let's be careful to understand that God is portrayed in the Bible as a judge. As judge, he has standards. The rule of law in the Bible must exist if there is to be harmonious relationships between human beings. Standards must also exist between God and us as human beings if there's going to be harmony in our relationships. Broken law, broken standards cause relationships to break down. This was the children of Israel's experience with God. Deuteronomy 29, verse 9 says, carefully follow the terms of this covenant, God's law, so that you may prosper in everything that you do. And so at first glance, this looks like that formula that I spoke about earlier, that when we follow the formula, that blessings would be guaranteed. Person A Doing the covenant, keeping the covenant and the rules of the covenant will result in the blessings of God. Sounds very simple and straightforward, doesn't it? The problem with this way of thinking and living is that formula based living only works some of the time. God is judge with standards to be adhered to. The question then is not is God a judge? But what kind of a judge is he? Is he a finger-wagging judge, using his standards to catch us doing wrong, missing the mark of his expectations, only to scold and shame us into better performance? Or is he merciful and just, using the law, his standards, to bring correction into our lives, to rebuke us, to teach us, And to train us in righteousness. The Bible tells us that God is a very special kind of judge. In Exodus 34 verse 6, God says of himself that I am a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet, He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Friends, God is a judge who is both just and merciful. Pastor Henry spoke about this side of God's nature when he was preaching out of the books of Jonah, Nahum, and Zephaniah. Knowing God as a judge to be feared is not wrong, only incomplete. It is one side of the coin of knowing and experiencing God in all of his fullness. The other side of the coin is equally important and must be understood. And so we need to ask ourselves this question. If God is not a finger-wagging God, then what kind of a God is he? God answers this question in the scripture read earlier. When the Bible said, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. And so God's testimony about himself rings loud and clear for us. And the scripture goes on in that same passage to list other important qualities that God gave about himself, about his father heart. He said, I am creator. I created you. I gave you your life. I am your father. I never grow tired or weary. I am wise and understanding. I am a giver of strength and of power to those who are weary and tired. Do you get the picture? Do you see God and how he wants to be seen? God as judge, yes, but as an angry finger wagging, caught you, messing up, didn't perform to my expectations, God, not at all. But as a loving father here to help you kind of God well this past week I had a fascinating conversation with Jen Johnstone Scott a triathlete and coach of triathletes who with her husband Don and their two children participate in the life of our church I asked Jen two questions is winning the goal of every triathlete and what makes a great coach I tried to capture Jen's comments or listen as I Feedback to you what I heard from her. Every athlete, Jen explained, seeks to perform to their personal best. Most people have a hard time understanding this, actually. We are conditioned to think that winning a medal is the goal, but it isn't. Achieving one's personal best at the level of each athlete is at in her or his development is the goal. Then a new goal is set, a goal that calls us to press on. Great coaches understand how to bring an athlete along in this process, and it is a process. Peak performance is not achieved instantly. The truth is, it is not achieved consistently. You see it all the time at the Olympic games. You can imagine the disappointment of an athlete showing up at the games or at any level of competition only to perform at less than their best. How disappointing for that athlete. The coach knows the disappointment will be there. Steps into the athlete's life and does what? Wags the finger, berating the athlete for the embarrassing performance, angrily yelling, scolding, threatening, and judging the athlete for all that went wrong? Well, Jen said bad coaches actually do that. She's seen it. But the great coaches are not like that at all. Great coaches have worked hard to build a relationship of trust with their athletes. They want to be seen as caring and stern, a person whose total aim is to help the athlete be a great person and a great athlete. So goals are discussed, little goals, big goals, goals for the next competition, and then new goals for the one after that. And of course, celebration is crucial along the way. Successes must be savored. Mistakes must be learned from. Every athlete is handled differently. Some respond to humor really well, others to sarcasm, some to a soft word, others need a stronger word. The coach has to see, hear, and feel the athlete's potential from an objective vantage point. Coaches are removed from the competition. They see the whole of the athlete's journey from beginning to end. They know by experience and knowledge what steps need to be taken and what stages need to be moved through, and it takes time to move through them. Great coaches come alongside the athlete to counsel and guide, to coach the athlete through the disappointing times. The goal is always to build character into the athlete and then to spur them on toward achieving their best. Friends, and therein is a picture of how God wants us to view Him and of how He wants us to view our spiritual journey. God wants to be known by you as a loving Father God. Now may I ask you, does seeing Him as your personal coach weaken your image of God? Oh, it ought not to. For Jesus himself said in John 14, verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father to give you another counselor, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Call him counselor or call him coach. Either way, you're right. So what kind of life do you think our counselor, coach desires for us? Let me make this more personal. What kind of life do you want for your life? Well, let's say you want to experience the good life. What does the good life look like for you? My guess is it consists of a life that would be free from pain and sorrow, from trouble and trials, even being free from temptation. That it would consist of good friends, a good marriage, good kids, good job, a good place to live with a good car, good toys, good health, good vacations, good retirement, all that is good. Right? The problem is, the good life, no matter how hard we try, remains elusive unpredictable and often disappointing to us as followers of christ we even wonder at times what good is god i mean the formula is supposed to work i as a follower of christ applying the principles of christian living to my life is supposed to result in the life that he promised and so i ask you how's the formula working for you God knows that, the formula, that formula-based living does not work. And he wants us to know it too. Look at the language of Isaiah 40, 27 to 31. There, God describes himself as being a father God who exists to give strength to those who... Now listen carefully. He exists to give strength to those who get tired and weary who stumble and fall. How tired are you of striving to live the good life? How tired are you of striving to get it, let alone to get the godly life, to live the godly life? How weary are you of trying to please God through your own efforts, knowing that tomorrow you're going to make mistakes and you're going to commit sin yet again? We all get tired. We all feel weak and weary. We all stumble and fall. That's what God says. So does God want us to live the good life? And if so, what does that life look like? The answer is that yes, God wants us to live the good life, but the good life looks different from his vantage point. There are a whole lot of people who have figured this out, really. Their lives are worth looking at. The Bible provides a whole chapter of the stories of people in Hebrews chapter 11 of the kinds of lives that they lived and experienced. There are two kinds of people described there. There were those who experienced the blessing of God on their lives while living in this world. They experienced the good life in the here and now. Then there were those who experienced the blessing of God on their lives while suffering and through suffering They experienced the good life too, the Bible tells us. In fact, in Hebrews 11, verses 38 and 39, the Bible says, The world was not worthy of them. And they were all commended for their faith. From God's vantage point, the good life looks very different from what it does from our vantage point from time to time. Now, Catherine Milam, over the past five years, journeyed through life in this city here, with her three children and her husband, Dave, who passed on in the month of February of this year, just a few short weeks ago. Dave's battle with cancer was long, and it was hard. Catherine has given me permission to share a small part of her journey out of an email she sent. Just listen as I read. Catherine writes, Hello, dear friends. There's much that I don't understand right now, about the difficulty of the transplant and the miraculous response in the light chains and then the crazy fast relapse. In the end, all I can do is hold on to the goodness and grace of God and trust that his knowledge and perspective are perfect while mine is limited. Do I really want to give up everything I believe in because I didn't get what I wanted? Sometimes it feels more like sheer stubbornness in saying that I will continue to believe that he is good Because honestly, it doesn't always feel like it. In the middle of it all, though, I have no choice. I am confronted daily with the many tangible ways I see his goodness and provision, not to mention the peace that passes all understanding, that used to feel like a cliché to me. But it's really true. The amount of support and help and prayers we have experienced is amazing and undeserved. I am so thankful that the transplant, even though it didn't provide the ultimate miracle we were hoping for, was a miracle, in the sense that it allowed Dave to come home and walk and talk till the very end. What a gift that he was able to be at home, that he was able to hug and bless each of the kids the night before he passed, that he went in his sleep in his own bed with just me there by his side. With much love and thanks, Catherine. How do you think, Catherine, How do you think the Catharines of our world actually become like that? Do you think they become that way by following the path of performance, or is there another path? The Bible says there is. Jesus spoke of it when he was in this world, when he said, "There are two paths, two ways. The one is broad; it leads to destruction." The one is narrow and it leads to life. Robert Frost, in his poem, The Road Less Traveled By, spoke of it as well when he said, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. So friends, with the time that we have remaining, I invite you to listen as we now focus in on the path that Christ would want you to walk. There are two paths of living. You are free to choose one or the other. There is the path of performance, This this path path is about pursuing the good life of blessings. By it, we choose to live our lives according to principles and and rules. It's A, pursuing B, expecting C as a result, the blessed life here and now. This path is all about a constant day-in and day-out striving and working to get the formula right. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And when it does not work, we double our effort. Or we live in disappointment with God because He's not coming through on His end of the bargain. Or we abandon Him. And then there's the other path, the path of relationship. This path is about the pursuit of the good life of knowing God. By it, we choose to seek relationship with God, becoming as Jesus invited us to be friends with God. There's no formula here. Friendships don't work that way. They're not built by formulas. And, and so we, in that friendship relationship with God, discover perfect love. Perfect love is love that seeks only the best interests of the other, it is pure and good all the time. You know, our problem is we don't know what perfect love is, we don't know how to relate to one another perfectly in a loving way. Because we, at the core of our being, tend to be selfish in nature. And then we project our human experience on God. And we can't imagine that He could love us in a perfect way with perfect love. But He is perfect. He's entirely good. He's holy. He can only choose to love us in a way that's in our best interests. And so the path of relationship always works... And we can rest in his love with the absolute assurance that we will be loved, not for our performance, but for who we are. So which path would you rather walk? Listen to how the prophet Isaiah describes the life God has in mind for you. You can live a life where you will mount up with wings like eagles, where you will run and not grow weary, where you will walk and not faint. Friends, the story of your life can be different. That is what God is offering to you. You can become a person of strength and resilience in spite of how weary and tired you are of life and the challenges of life. And he will give you strength to the weak when you feel life is long and hard. You can be strong in the Lord when the enemy of your soul tempts you to commit sin yet again and then you do. Being weary and tired, feeling weak, stumbling and falling is all part of the journey that we all face and experience. And so God God says in his word, you will grow tired and weary. You will stumble and fall, but I won't And I don't. The fact is, I never grow tired of you. I never grow weary of helping you. Friends, that is what God offers you if you will choose the path of relationship. So, what will it take for us to soar on wings like eagles, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint? What will it take for us to get there?
2: I don't know. I don't see it anywhere. Hang on. No, it's not there. Ah, this way. Which way? Oh, I don't think it's hidden in the balloons. Oh. I know. I'm sorry. Hang on. (sighs) Mm, goodness me. You know, you should take better care of your stuff. This would not happen if you just kept track of where things were. Oh, I know. Oh. Oh, this way. No, it's not there either. Goodness me. Ah. (laughs) Hi. Sorry. Um, Be polite. Uh, uh, Sorry. Um, This is Vern, and um, we've lost something very, very important. I don't know if you like to have afternoon naps on Sunday, but I really do, and we need to find his stuffed cat, or he is not going to go down for a nap, which means I'm not going to go down for a nap. Have you seen a small stuffed kitty anywhere? No? Oh, well, I'm very, very sorry. You look like you're doing some important things here, so we will be out of your hair in just two minutes. We're just gonna take a quick look and see. Uh, are they? Over there, you think? Is that your bag? No. No? Well, I suppose it could be in the bag. What do you think? Should we take a quick look? Okay, we'll just be very, very fast, and then we're gonna let these nice people get back to what they're doing, okay? All right, here we go. Um, hopefully this stuff doesn't break. Yeah, okay, all right. Take a look. See if you can see it. What is the matter with you? (coughs)
1: Stinky.
2: (laughs) It's what? Stinky. Stinky? Yes. Stinky. Oh, well, it can't be that bad. Just take a quick look in the bag and then we'll go, okay? that horrible. Are you sure? Okay. On the count of three, hold your breath. We'll go in. We'll see if your kitty's in there. And if it's not, we'll move back from the bag. Okay? Okay. All right. Ready? One, two, three. (gasps) I ever glad I don't play hockey. Whew, that is rank. Here, Nick, we found your kitty. Isn't it great? Yeah. Okay. Ah! What's wrong now? He's stinky. Oh, it can't be that. Oh. My. Um, Terrible news. I think when we put kitty in the bag, he kind of took on the smell of the hockey equipment. I know, I'm sorry. Oh. Well, how about this? We'll take him home, we'll just spritz some Febreze on him and everything will be good. No. No, you don't think that's gonna work? Uh-uh. Oh. Okay, well, we'll take him home, we'll, we'll spritz some Febreze on him and we'll throw him in the washing machine, he'll be out by nap time, and, and then he should smell better, okay? No. You don't think that's gonna work? Uh-uh. Oh. Okay, how about this? What if we take him home and spritz him with Febreze and wash him like 16 times? And uh, then we'll put him in a bag and we'll put a whole bunch of roses in there. You like to smell roses, don't you? Yes. And then hopefully when we take him out, he'll either smell like the Febreze or like the washing machine or like the roses and not like the the hockey bag. Does that sound like a good deal? Okay. Okay. That does mean, however, I don't think he's going to be ready for nap time today. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I know it's bad, but we'll see what we can do. Okay. Okay. Oh.
0: Thank you, Vern and Pastor Heather. Aromas are a mystery. Aromas slowly, silently, subtly, and ever so surely permeate. Becoming a person of strength and resilience requires only one thing. Hear the heart of God when he says from Isaiah 40, verse 31, They that wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They that wait in the presence of the Lord will renew their strength. A is a hard thing, isn't it? We want things to happen now. We want what we want when we want it. That kind of thinking is based on a formula, not on friendship. A baby in the womb is not formed in a day. Neither will the strength you need to be formed in Christ come to you that way. The mighty oak does not become so in a day. Neither will your life take on the strength of God that he has to offer you in a day. The fact is, the aroma of God's presence is acquired over time and through many and all kinds of experiences in life, especially the tough ones. And so I close with a final question. Why does God want us to live in his strength? Why is that important to him? Well, God wants us to live in his strength because he knows that when he is present in our lives, There, the aroma of his presence grows. Where he is present, that person will experience his peace, his purity, his power, his perspective, his protection, and his ongoing provision. God's word promises that to us. God wants you to learn to wait in his presence for your personal benefit as his child. And he wants us to learn to wait in his presence for the benefit of other people. You see, God loves all of his children and he wants to love them through you and through me. And when you and I take on the aroma of God, we will then take on the aroma of his presence everywhere we go. So who in your world, parents, needs you to take on the aroma of God? What do your children need to see in you? What do they need to hear from you? What do they need to feel from you? What do they need to smell coming out of your life? Grandparents, what about you and uncles and aunts? What about us as workers and students in the marketplace, as a neighbor and a friend, as a follower of Christ in this church? Who in our worlds doesn't need to smell the aroma of God's love and acceptance and forgiveness? Who in our worlds doesn't need to smell the aroma of the joy of God when the world brings so much disappointment? Who doesn't need to smell the aroma of the peace of God in a world that's so stressed and so anxious? Who in your world doesn't need to smell the aroma of God's kindness coming out of your life when the world can be so ruthless and unkind who in your world doesn't need to smell the goodness of God and of faithfulness when so many are unfaithful and smell the aroma of self control when so many around us pursue their own selfish indulgences Well, friends, today two paths are set before you, the path of performance and the path of relationship. God's invitation to you comes in the form of a declaration, which we're going to read in just a moment. Through it, he invites you to choose the path of relationship. And so would you stand as we bring our time together this morning to a close? And we're going to read this declaration together as a statement of affirmation, of our desire to pursue the path of relationship. Let's read together. The path of relationship. God, my everlasting Father. I believe that my life is never hidden from God, nor does he ignore me when life is not working the way I think it should. He is the everlasting Father God, who never tires of me, nor does he grow weary of helping me ever. He understands that I will grow tired of trying to make life work and weary of its battles. He understands that I will stumble in my mistakes and fall in my sins. As perfect Father, He does not judge me, wagging His finger at me. He does, however, stand ready to guide me in His paths. I will remember that those who wait in His presence will have their strength renewed by him. His strength and power will flavor my life, causing me to soar like an eagle, to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. So I will learn to wait, knowing that his presence in me will spread the aroma of his love everywhere I go. Friends, I know that some of you here today have been feeling the voice of God, hearing the voice of God talking to you about moving from the path of performance to walking the path of relationship. My invitation to you then is for you to make your way to this altar here. If you're in the chapel, to go to the front of the chapel there. And there you will find these cards, the very statement of declaration that we just read. Pick up a card. And make that a moment for you to stand and pray that declaration back to God again. Or if you're just come, take it with you and read it in your car, not while you're driving. Read it at home, someplace today. Make it a, a statement of affirmation to God. Those of you that are in the Galleria, there's cards laying under the television there in the cafe. Make your way over to the Information Center and pick those cards up there. Now would you bow together with me for prayer as we close. Oh Father, we thank you for this day. Oh my, how you long for us to walk on the path, the better way. And we know that as long as we're in this world, the enemy of our soul seeks to pull us away from relationship with you onto the path of performance. For we know that when he does that, we are robbed of the love that you want to have for us, want us to experience. So, oh God, May this be a day of significant change for many, for each one of us. And we thank you that because we're in your presence, as we walk in your presence, we don't do this by our own strength and power, but we do it by the strength and power of God Almighty. And so we bless your name today. And now may you go in peace, and the God of peace go with you. Amen.